the majority of what you do is behind the scenes. It's not seen on the surface. It's not seen on the outside. It's not something that we all get to watch. If you could watch my wife and what she does, like I get the joy of doing, uh, there would be uh, not just a greater value, but a greater attention to the purpose. And mom is not just a role or just an assignment. I believe it is a character trait. And just as you heard from my wife, uh, you can become a, a mother because you have a child, but that's different than choosing to raise something and choosing to pour into something and choosing to value and invest your life into something. And that's a choice. We do the same thing as men. You may become a father because you had a child, but you choose to be a dad or not. You may become a mother biologically, but you choose whether or not you're a mom. And I believe everybody in this room chooses uh, what you pour yourself into and what you invest yourself into. And I think many of the times, especially coming out of this series, Winning Within, um, winning is a hard thing to measure. And I believe it's becoming even harder in our day and age and in our culture today because we have so much comparison and we have so many opportunities to feel discouraged uh, when really we're doing a great job. Amen. Uh, so many opportunities. I heard someone say this past week that the, the fact that people don't compliment you should be the greatest compliment. Because once you begin to do something consistently, you know, sometimes you can interpret, hey, man, thank you so much for turning that thing in on time. Thank you, man. You, you, you met the deadline. You did an awesome job. Sometimes that can be interpreted. Most of the time you are horrible with turning stuff in. And so I'm making a big deal out of the fact that you actually got your stuff together for once. And sometimes the stuff that we do consistently is not praised as often. Sometimes the stuff that we're really good at and the stuff that we uh, do on a regular basis and the stuff that people come to, a, to uh, expect out of you are the things that go unnoticed the most and the things that get the least recognition. And I want you to know today that the fact that maybe you haven't gotten the pat on the back recently. I'm talking to everybody in the room. I'm not just talking to moms now. Maybe the fact that no one's given you a thank you card or a thank you note, as much as those things are loved and as much as those things are appreciated, maybe the fact is that people around you have just come to expect that level, that standard of greatness from you. And so I want you to, to recognize today, I'm not going to talk very long, um, but I want us to see what we don't see today. This message today, it's called In Case You Missed It. Anybody ever heard anybody say that? Uh, in Case You Missed It. And I believe that we have a lot of In Case You Missed It moment. And I, I want us to have an opportunity today to reflect, allow God to show you on the inside what you've been missing the whole time. Go with me, if you will, to Second Kings chapter 4. 
Second Kings chapter four. While you're turning there, go ahead and look at your neighbor and say, don't miss this. Come on, look at him. Say, don't miss this. Now look at your favorite neighbor and say, don't miss this. No, that might get awkward. We might have to pray over roots of bitterness and offense here in a moment. Second Kings chapter four. And, and let me also say this to everybody in this room. We have uh, several mothers that are sacrificing their morning service this morning to be serving your children. I want you to give them an extra special happy Mother's Day and thank you for what they do. Because uh, they're not sitting in service. They are actually watching your children as you've dropped them off today. And uh, we need to value that, uh, that they would take a Sunday morning on a Mother's Day. And rather than being in here being celebrated, they are sacrificing and serving and giving. We want to honor that today. Amen. Second Kings chapter 4 and verse 1. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. The only role that she has left, naturally speaking, is the role of a mother now. The role of the wife has been eliminated. Her husband has passed on. And now uh, the two boys, the two sons that she has in her care are now being compromised. And in verse 3, Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house. And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house. And thank God there's not a period there. It goes on and it says, but a jar of oil. And he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it out into the vessels, into all those vessels, and set aside the full ones. And she went from him, shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. It came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. And she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt and you and your sons live on the rest. What amazing miracle. What amazing uh, opportunity for God to come through for this lady that's recently lost her husband. Her two sons are being compromised and possibly having to be uh, taken as slaves to take care of a debt that was owed. And so she approaches the prophet and her, uh, her approach is fully on the responsibility of the prophet, ultimately fully on the responsibility of God. I need you to do something for me. You're the prophet. You're the man of God. Uh, you've got it in with the man upstairs, right? We've, we've heard people say this stuff before. Hey, can you talk to the big man upstairs for me? And so she's approaching the prophet saying, look, my husband served you. Ultimately, he served your God. And I know that the service to God should result in God showing up for us now. We have sacrificed, we have served, we have given, but now we have come to have an expectation, an expectation. And, and you know, this is how all mothers begin. The second you find out uh, you are pregnant, 
And uh, I'm not going to go around the room and find out uh, how many of you that was a joyous, joyous moment or a uh, oh my God moment or another one moment. I was talking to, um, I took Camden to get a haircut a couple weeks ago. And um, the lady that was cutting his hair, I'd never seen her before. And uh, she was cutting his hair and uh, she was pregnant. And so, you know, I just, you know, naturally just start a conversation. And, and she says, yep, uh, this is number seven. I said, okay. All right. Getting Old Testament on us here. Number seven. She did not look happy as she stated this. Uh, she looked very disappointed, almost depressed and discouraged. Uh, and, and I could tell there was some angst in her voice. And, uh, and uh, her husband treated her horribly, apparently, and, um, you know, just brought this awful thing upon her. And, uh, and so she's like, yep, we have a uh, 10-month-old at home right now. And then, you know, just went on up through the ages all the way up to age 15. And, uh, you know, and then he bunched them up right there at the end. And then this one wasn't supposed to happen. And uh, so regardless, uh, you know, she is excited. Uh, although, you know, she's sending her husband to the doctor, I'm sure, uh, by this point. Amen. Uh, there's, there's an app for that. So we take care of that. Um, we can do something about that. Amen. Uh, but, uh, even though, you know, initially she wasn't excited, she began to share, uh, uh, that, you know, they were picking out names and, They found out it was a girl and they were, you know, decorating the room and doing all the fun stuff that comes with being an expectant mother because you are expecting something. So this lady shows up, this widow shows up to the prophet with an expectation. Uh, But sometimes we place an expectation on the wrong thing and we ought to have an expectation of God. We ought to have an expectation of what God can do in our lives, especially in moments of distress, especially in moments uh, where we are discouraged and we don't know how this is going to play out. And the things that we love are being taken away from us. There should be an expectation that God will show up in our lives. But his response, Elisha's response is, what shall I do for you? What shall I do for you? He says, tell me, what do you have in the house. What do you have in the house? What do you have in your house? Now, if she had already taken inventory of what was in her house and felt like there was anything that she already had at her disposal that could help her in this situation, I'm sure she would not have been approaching the prophet Elisha, Elisha saying, you know, as, speaking as distressed, distressed and discouraged as she is. But she is not interested in what is in her house. And, but yet God is taking her right to the very thing that she's neglected. I don't, I'm not going to go around the room either and ask everyone what's in your house because I'm probably going to hear about the piles of laundry and I'm going to hear about the, the, the sink that's overflowing and all the things that are falling apart possibly. And, 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 and then, you know, even if we get into uh, beneath the surface, all the struggles and the issues and the fights and the bickering and the complaining and the loss of purpose and the loss of vision that is in our houses. But yet God is taking her right back to the thing. There's something in your house. 
You need to know that today, that there is something in your house. There is something that's already at your disposal. Many times we come to God looking for an answer, but we, we get more fixated on the answer than really trusting him through the process. Because we find out very quickly how much we trust in God versus just, and I just encouraged someone this past week because uh, they're going through a, 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 a discouraging time, a, distress, a, a very stressful time in their life. And um, I was just encouraging them because, uh, you know, they're, they're, God, I, I've been asking God, you know, why is this happening? Why is this happening in my life? Why did this have to happen? Why is this taking place? What, what do I need to do? And, and I said, sometimes we get more, we put more trust in the answer than we we do in God. Like if I knew why this was all happening, I would be okay. That doesn't prove trust in God. That doesn't prove faith in God. And sometimes our faith is at its greatest capacity in the midst of doubt and in the midst of not knowing why. If I knew why, I wouldn't need faith. If I had all the answers, if it all made sense, if I knew the whole path rather than just having to take one step at a time, then where would faith be involved? I've said this before, that sometimes we want faith to operate in our lives so that we can eliminate the need for faith. I want to believe God for so much that I won't ever have to trust him again. But God is taking care of us one day at a time. God is taking care of us one step. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. He is trying to put, he's trying to get you to trust in him, not his stuff. I see so many times where people get blessed and God is the one that gets abandoned. He blesses us and we end up putting more faith and more trust and even more care and interest in the blessing versus the blesser. But God is never going to bless you at the expense of trusting in him. God will never bless you at the expense of trusting in him. We've got to develop a lifestyle where we trust in him that any answer he gives. So we have an expectation that God's going to move. We have an expectation that God's going to do something. But then our expectation is quickly turned. Look at her answer. And she said, your your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. And how many times do we do this? We list what we have but only in light of what we don't have. We take inventory of what we have, but we, there's a danger of placing low expectations. Not expectations of what the oil can do, but an expectation of what God can do with the oil. Not an expectation of what is in our house. Not an expectation of your kids and an expectation of your marriage and an expectation of ultimately your mess. She is pointing to something that she does not believe can provide the answer she needs. She wraps it. She wraps, I have an oil jar, but what could that possibly do? In fact, she says, I have nothing. I have nothing but a jar of oil. I have nothing. And that's how we usually preference when God starts asking us to take inventory. When God starts saying, okay, this is how I'm going to meet your need. I'm going to use this person over here. Oh, I I have nothing. 
I'm going to use this situation. I'm going to use this opportunity. And we devalue, so many times we devalue what we do have while we overvalue what we don't have. We devalue what is already in our possession. And this is what happens is we end up with low expectations because what we have has failed us. What we have we haven't been able to trust in what we have. And, and this is a jar of oil, but oil by itself is not enough. Oil is an ingredient. Oil is an ingredient, but oil by itself isn't going to feed me. Oil by itself isn't going to make the meal. Oil by itself isn't going to take care of my situation. And so many of us have jars of oils that we are abandoning, neglecting, even resisting, because it's merely an ingredient. It's not the whole package. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we love to quote this verse. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, in verse 28, he says that he makes all things. Do we have that up there? Romans 8, verse 28. He says, and we know that all things work together. All things. The, the opportunity by itself won't work. And the, the, the friendships by themselves won't work. And the marriage by itself. But all these things work together. For what? For the good. For the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We've got to start recognizing so many times we we hone down right in on an ingredient and we take a situation, even a tragedy, even a struggle that by itself on its own is is not good. That on its own is distasteful, on its own uh, uh, cannot meet our need. But I wonder how God is using that ingredient to work together with everything else in our life for our good. I wonder. I mean, no, there's no baker, there's no cook, there's no uh, uh, individual that would sit down to make a meal that by itself oil would be sufficient. But I wonder how God is wanting to work that into our situation and work that in the process. He, she says, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. And as, as soon as she says, I have nothing, Elisha responds and says, That's all you need. The very thing that we don't think is enough, God is saying, I can use it. This is why uh, 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 Jesus can use a little boy that brings five loaves and two fish. I, I said this one time in a message just by the Holy Spirit. I just thought it was interesting that it was a little boy that brought five loaves and two fish. Childlike faith. You know why? I wonder if they, and I just wonder, I mean, it's not in the Bible. Can't prove it, can't disprove it. But I wonder how many adults were out there with a five loaves and two fish that never brought it to Jesus because in our adult mind, that doesn't work. We, there are so many things that we don't offer to God because we don't see how it could be used. 
It had to be a child that brought five loaves and two fish because, the, I mean, Camden's done this to me before. We go to buy something or there's something that he wants and I say, ah, you know, it's too much. He'll pull out a dollar bill. He did that to me the other day. He did that to me the other day. You got a dollar. Yes, I do. The dollar is just one of $25 that this thing is asking for. You got 24 more? It's childlike faith. If we could have childlike faith, we would bring anything to God and say, it's all I have. What can you do with it? See, God, you're not responsible for the miracle. You're just responsible for the obedience. You're not responsible for the miracle. You're responsible for the obedience. But see, in everything, there's a part you play and there's a part he plays. God is not interested in doing miracles without using you. We've got an expectation. Now we've got participation. And right now, uh, regardless of what your life looks like, regardless of how horrible the situation may seem, by itself, the ingredient on its own, God is asking, what part will you play? So many times we come with the expectation that God will make the miracle happen and God will do it and he will, but not without using you. So rather than saying, God, how are you going to do all this? We ought to be asking God, how are you going to use me in the process? I believe you can and I believe you will and I believe that you're the miracle worker, but what do you need me to do? What's in my house? Our house typically represents what we don't want. But God is saying what you have neglected is the very thing I want to use. Here's how I want to use it for my glory. He said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels, empty vessels. How does an empty vessel solve my problem? We want vessels that are full. We want vessels that are already filled up. See, when God gives you something, he always gives it to you in pieces. It's our job to put it together. Many times, there's another miracle that Elijah performed that was a lot like this one. It was a a widow woman, uh, just like this one, that had a son. I could have preached on her. I've I, I got two options here. This is awesome. We, we, uh, Elijah dealt with a widow woman that had a son, and there was famine and drought in the land. And Elijah comes up on this widow woman sent there by God to sustain him and to take care of him, comes up on a widow woman with her son, and they're picking up sticks. She says, we are picking up sticks, and we are uh, going to eat our last meal, and we're going to die. What an expectation, huh? What, what a hopeful life. And Elijah says, okay, well, before you make that cake for y'all, make me one first. Well, hold hold on a minute. I don't think you heard me. We are making one meal, and we are eating that. Why in the world would I make a meal for you? I might as well just die now. It's amazing what happens when God will ask for the last thing you have. That's when you know it's sacrifice. That's when you know you're giving your all to him. It's all I got, God. If you take this from me, I don't even have enough for myself. And he's saying, good. That's when you can start trusting in me. 
And so she says, well, all I have uh, is, is these sticks and, uh, you know, a, a little bit of flour and some oil. That's all I have. And this is what we do to God. Well, God, all I have is just one friend. That's all I have. All I have is this, this marriage here. All I have is this faith. All I have is this house that's falling apart. All I have is this situation that's broken. And we're listing the very ingredients to make the thing that will sustain us. It's, we have the ingredients in our hands, and God is sometimes just trying to open up your eyes, not to see something different, but to see it differently. Because what happens when you put the flour and the oil together? And what happens when you build the fire using the sticks? And you make the very thing. And so God ended up, when he opened her eyes, she was able to receive the miracle with what she already had. Elijah didn't come and say, man, I, I, I came at the right time. I've got a gift card to Publix right here. Let's go get some groceries. Let's get this thing taken care of. We, we've got to learn to trust in the provider, not what's being provided. Trusting in God. Trusting in God. In case you missed it, you've got the ingredients in your hand. In case you missed it, I can use the oil. You said, I have nothing but, and God wants to use the but. God wants to use the thing you've written off that this thing can't be used. There's no way he could use this for his glory. There's no way that God could bring his his glory through this situation, through this problem, through this struggle, through this issue. God knows how to get glory out of all of it. He said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. You've got to recognize we are the limitation to what God can do. How much work are you going to put in? How many vessels do you want to gather? Because that's how many vessels he can fill. He can't fill the vessels you don't bring. He said, don't just gather a few. Because where you stop, he stops. You're the, you're the deciding factor. You're the limiter. As much as you keep drawing, as much as you keep pulling, as much as you keep coming, as much as you keep seeing, as much as you keep praying, as much as you keep praising, he can fill that vessel. He can fill. But when we quit bringing, he quits filling. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you. And your sons, let me tell you something. The miracle's not for everybody. You've got to learn to shut the door. Sometimes we want to include too many people in the process. Sometimes you've got to close the door behind you. And now it's out of sight. Now no one sees it. And there's so much that we want to put on display in this, this culture today. We want everybody to see it. We want everybody to see the struggle. We want everybody to see the hurt. We call it being real. But there are some things that people don't need to see. They just need to know that God's been moving in your life. And they don't need to see the crying. And they don't need to see the weeping. And they don't need an Instagram post telling about how horrible your day's been. And they don't need all this stuff. All they need to know is that God's working in your life. And you put this. But you're Shut the door behind you and you say, we're going to take care of business in here. I'm not going to share it with the world. I'm not going to put it out there for everyone to see. This is between me and God. I'm trusting in him and no one's going to derail me off of this purpose. 
You got to learn to shut the door. Jesus had to do that. When you had the, the, the 12 year old girl that was dead and Jesus shows up and everybody's weeping and crying. Get get the ones out that aren't going to contribute contribute to the process. If they're not going to be a part of the solution, they've automatically become a part of the problem. Jesus said, get them out. Bring mom and dad in. I got a couple of my disciples, but anyone else that doesn't believe that about the doesn't believe I'm about to perform a miracle in this situation, get them out. Their doubt, their negativity. Because, I mean, that, that's all. They began to laugh at Jesus. They began to mock him. Oh, just sleeping. This guy. Where do we find this guy? Who's this? That's how they began to jeer and respond to Jesus. There are some people you can't tell your miracle to. They wouldn't believe you no matter how hard you tried to explain it. They'll just get to stand on the outside and see the finished product. Amen. Shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her. And she poured it out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. Pour all you have into what you have. Pour all you have. I sell out. You've got kids at home. Sell out to them, regardless of if you think they're getting it, regardless if they're responding the way you want them to, regardless if you see anything on the natural, on the outside taking place. Pour all you have into what you have. Sell out to it. Don't leave anything uh, left over. And as long as you have a vessel, you've got something to pour. The limiting factor was not the oil. The limiting factor was the vessels. You keep on reading She said, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. I know many times it can feel like we don't have anything to pour out. And pouring out can be sometimes the most difficult process. Is you're pouring and you're pouring. And you're pouring and you're investing and you're investing and you're giving and you're giving. But until you have no more vessels, you keep on pouring. As long as you have a vessel, you still have oil. The oil doesn't dry up until you run out of a vessel. I wonder what vessels we have in our lives that we have stopped pouring into. I wonder what vessels in our lives we've written off. I wonder what vessels that we have in our lives and and we have quit pouring, although we still have oil in the jar. There's still oil in the jar. I'm telling you today, you still have oil in the jar. But do you have vessels to pour it into? I don't know about you. I'll be praying that God give me another vessel. I don't want to quit pouring. I don't want to quit investing. I don't want to quit giving as long as he has given me a vessel to speak life into. And so many times uh, we do like uh, uh, Elijah ended up doing. We, we look at what we don't have rather than what we do have. 
Elijah found his life on the run. He preceded Elisha. Elijah saw God perform a miracle right before his eyes. Burn up an altar where where, uh, all these other uh, 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 worshipers of Baal were trying to get this altar to burn up. They said, whichever God burns up the altar, consumes it with fire. That's the real God. So they spent all day long trying to get their God to burn up this altar. Couldn't do it. Elijah shows up, pours water all over the altar, digs a trench around it, puts water in it. I mean, this thing is not catching fire. I don't care how much fire you put on it. And God consumes it. In the very next chapter, he finds himself on the run because the queen Jezebel found out about what uh, uh, he did and was looking for his life, gave a command to kill him. And this is what happens. So many times the threat that the enemy brings is bigger than the miracle God just performed. We allow a threat of the enemy to speak louder than the miracle God just performed. And we do this. We do this. We just saw God move in our life. And now what the enemy says he's going to do, it hasn't even happened yet, becomes more real than the miracle that we just saw take place right before our eyes. Which is more reality to you today? The miracles that God has performed in your life over and over and over or the threats that the enemy is trying to bring of what he thinks he's going to do. Which do you allow to be more real? So many of us, we give up not because of reality, but because of assumption. That's what anxiety and worry is. Anxiety and worry is allowed to be developed in our lives because we foster it and we feed it with thoughts of stuff that has not even happened yet. They haven't left you yet. The bank hasn't come yet. You aren't under yet. You still have food on your uh, food on your table, gas in your car. That job hasn't gone under yet. And I'll tell you what, God can sustain you if you put your trust in him in case you missed it he's still working in case you missed it he's still moving in case you missed it you've got ingredients sitting on the shelf that we have neglected and god is saying if you'll pick it up and find some jars to start pouring yourself into i'll make sure you'll never run out i'll make sure there's enough not just for you but for everybody that's connected to you So the oil ceased in verse seven. She came and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt. You and your sons live on the rest. I serve a God of exceeding abundantly. I've never seen God just barely make it by. I've never seen God just get us enough. I've seen God do so much more. He is a God of exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think. What are you asking and what are you thinking? What's that? That's participation. What, what am I doing? What is my part to play? What do I, what is my role in the middle of all this? I've got to ask and I've got to think. I've got to pour and I've got to invest. I've got to start looking at resources that I've been letting get old on the shelf and, and, and letting go unused and abandoned. And I've got to start saying, okay, God, how do you want me to use this? 
what do you want me to put this in? I, I haven't picked this. Uh, I haven't picked this thing up in five years. What do you want me to do with it? I haven't spoken to that person in ten years. What do you want me to say? I, I, I've given up on this marriage, given up on this family, given up on this home, given up on this situation, given up on this job. It's not producing anything. But your expectation has been on God to just step in and show up and do something. And He's saying, "I want to use what you already have." Worship team, if you come. Moms, I know that we have these moments. The more consistent you become with something, the more routine and familiar it becomes. So many times we feel like the results don't meet the investment so many times and and, and 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 you don't have to experience natural struggle it, it's it's the natural tendency of any time we do something consistently that we have this feeling and i just want to speak to everyone in the room today And I want you to know that the race you're running, it comes with burdens. What happens when, when you ask for blessing and what God gives you seems more like a burden? I was thinking about the mother of Jesus, Mary. And I was thinking about how he decided, how God decided to bring Jesus into this world. think about it a lot it does you know you don't talk about it a lot at Christmas time she was a virgin she was not even married and the blessing of carrying the son of God could seem like a burden I mean her initial response was how can this be the person she was supposed she was supposed to get married she was engaged and the person she was supposed to marry was quietly on the inside saying how do I get out of this mess this isn't good culturally this is not acceptable Jesus being raised and people positively doubting who his father was paternity tests to prove this stuff. You can't, you can't show up. Yep, Holy Spirit did it. Doesn't work that way. You're taking Mary's word for it. Joseph is. And thank God an angel visited Joseph because he's on the inside saying, what happens when the thing that you've been believing for or what should be a blessing seems more like a burden? We said it Wednesday night. We've got to be careful not to complain about the thing that we once prayed about. We've got to be careful that we keep a perspective of what God can do, regardless of what it looks like on the outside. How's he wanting to use it? How's he wanting to move? How, what's he trying to show you? What's he trying to teach you? Who's he trying to influence around you? These are the 
the questions that can help us open our eyes to a different perspective. These are the questions that we can ask ourselves to help us see not just a different situation, not just a different scenario, not a different marriage, not a different family, not a different home, not a different situation, but see it 